I mean, it's always about the communication and how you communicate, who's going to talk to who, when, what do you do first, in what order, how do you do it, are you prepared, how do your playbooks work out. You bring to those exercises, those tabletops, those full-scale exercises, your playbooks to really almost practice makes perfect, right? And so just like a, a fire team would, would practice putting out fires, you don't want somebody, first time they ever put on the suit to come to your house when your house is burning down. You want them to know what they're doing and know where to go and what to do and how to do it based on different situations. Hello and welcome to Security Visionaries, hosted by Jason Clark, CSO at Netscope. You just heard from today's guest, Dan Lorman, Field Chief Information Security Officer of Presidio. The idea of being ready for anything doesn't happen magically overnight. It takes practice, repetition, and diligence. And bad actors will always be there with new ways to test just how prepared you are. As security leaders, it's our job to be ready for even the most unexpected challenges. Just as a firefighter wouldn't run into a burning building without proper preparation, security leaders need to view digital fires in much the same way. Putting yourself in the mind of the hacker takes training and role-playing. Aim to be multiple steps ahead at all times. Because no company wants to be caught in their first fire without ever having tried on the suit. So before we dive into Dan's interview, here's a brief word from our sponsor. The Security Visionaries podcast is powered by the team at Netscope. Netscope is the sassy leader offering everything you need to provide a fast, data-centric, and cloud-smart user experience at the speed of business today. Learn more at netscope.com. Without further ado, please enjoy Episode 6 of Security Visionaries with Dan Lorman, Field Chief Information Security Officer of Presidio, and your host, Jason Clark. Welcome to Security Visionaries. I am your host, Jason Clark, Chief Strategy and Security Officer at Netscope. Today, I am joined by a very special guest, Dan Lorman. Dan, how are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks, Jason. Yeah, it's been, um, I think you and I have We've probably known each other for about 15 years. Yeah, exactly. I remember first meeting you back in the WebSense days and back when I was Michigan Chief Information Security Officer. And you were a great customer-focused executive back then. I know you are still today. So it's great to be on with you. You know, it's just it's just like I love, that's one thing I love about doing all, all these podcasts. It's just kind of just like reconnecting with everybody, right? And especially during the, uh, the crazy times of the pandemic. And so we're going to start with kind of what was... What was your first job in cybersecurity, Dan? Yeah, so I went out of college with the Valparaiso University, got a degree in computer science and started at the National Security Agency. So I was, can't, if I, the old cliche we use is if I tell you what I did, I'd have to kill you. But, <laughs> but my, I was, I was in computer networks and I, I, you know, this is all unclassified, but my first job back in the late eighties was uh, as a, you know, really a working with a variety of different vendors and interoperability. So Back in those days, it was, you know, we had all these, it wasn't all TCP IP or IP version four, IP version six and all the mumbo jumbo, but it was, it was like SNA and we had DECnet and Mm -hmm. we had all those different. So I'm basically getting networks to talk to each other from IBM to DEC to digital to Sun, Spark stations and all those kinds of things. And, and I was uh, running that lab and, you know, deploying networks all over the world really before there was an internet, which was pretty cool. That was uh, sounds like a lot like my job when I uh, kind of started in the army, right? It was just all about 
getting uh, getting networks to talk. It was a uh, heavy banyan tree. Yeah. Um, right. And then we were kind of you know converting to to NT four O, right, and an Active Directory and yeah, oh, a lot of fun. You know, it's it's like it's so different, right? It's so different when you're managing the tech from being a being a CISO, right? It's uh, there's days you probably miss it. I'm sure, just like just you tell it what to do and it does it. I agree. A, a hands-on piece. I miss that. When I, we, we, we went to England after that, I won't tell the whole story there, but just how, uh, you know, all hands-on networks and some crazy stories about how we almost brought down a satellite. <laughs> and that was pretty scary stuff, but uh, it was all good. And um, I, yeah, I love the hands-on stuff as well. I do miss some of that. So, um, you know, so tell us, you know, I saw, I saw the news on the new role at Presidio. So definitely love to hear about that. Yeah, thanks. So I'm yeah, I'm the field uh, chief information security officer, really focusing on public sector. So, as you know, I've I've done a lot of different roles in CISO roles in Michigan government and CTO in Michigan government. Last six seven years, I was with Security Mentor as a chief security officer. So this role really Presidio partners with you know Netscope and a variety of other companies, providing really guidance to C-suite mainly focused on SLED, uh, state local government education, but I had some some work with other governments as well. And really just making, you know, hearing what their issues are and providing solutions, working with partners to provide an end-to-end solution to their cyber needs. And and um, so I'm really excited. I love, I'm learning, I'm you know, digging from a fire hose right now. I've only been in for about five weeks, but um, just loving the job, loving the people and uh, learning a lot already. So yeah, yeah it's, it's pretty cool. So, you know, governments, especially SLED, has historically always been known as kind of moving a lot slower, right, and, and adopting tech and transformation. How, how's, you know, what does that look like right now? How is that changing, um, especially with, you know, kind of some of the, the, the new executive orders around cybersecurity, just in general, just love to get your perspective. Yeah, I mean, just like everyone else, they're getting, first of all, the, the, the threat landscape is just going crazy. So just getting hit hard. You know, with ransomware and other things like that, and and uh, attacks, cyber attacks, and it is exciting. The good news, I mean, we don't get a lot of good news in cyber, but the good news is we just got the you know the new dedicated cyber grants to state and local governments was a billion dollars over five years, and that's going to be you know I think that's really going to help a lot of state and local governments. There has been honestly right now what the biggest issue you know killing it's just bleeding. Um, state and local government, they can't keep people, talent. And that's really across the board. We're seeing that in the private sector as well. But I'm hearing CISOs say, you know, damn, we just can't. I mean, one team I know, big, big state, lost half their people on their cyber team since the beginning of this year. So that's just a huge challenge. I think they're getting it. They're starting to, you know, really understand because, you know, with the Colonial Pipeline, all the different things that have been happening this year, you know, it's it's so front and center and the digital transformation that we've seen during COVID has just been so huge. So the need is there. The move to work from home is there. All of that is there. It's still just a really, really difficult challenge at the moment. So when we when we talk about the the billion dollars, right, what um what do you when you see kind of you look at SLED, right, and just federal government in general, what do you what do you think the biggest vulnerability that they have that they're they're not aware of right now, or that it's a kind of two part question? Either they're not aware of, or you know, where should they be putting the most of those dollars? Yeah, I think visibility. You know, knowing you know the, the old cliche we used to say at NSA all the time: you don't know what you don't know, <laughs> and uh, and so you know knowing. There's been a huge move to the cloud, which has been great. 
and everything's going to the cloud now. I mean, the, the, the resistance to the cloud is just not, you know, anything like it was a decade ago. I mean, it, it, everything's going to the cloud and that's great. It's just, I think the challenges are not knowing where all their data is. So the, you know, visibility in the data, not knowing all the different kind of end-to-end pieces of that journey. And I think, you know, people want to do zero trust. They want to do SASE. They want to do that. And I think it's just, you know, I, like I said, I think, I think the challenges they're facing at the moment are around the people side of it. It's always people processing technology. It is, you know, it's always that. Um, but, you know, as you know very well for what you do, just saying we're going to stick it in the cloud and we're going to give it over to Microsoft, we're going to give it over to AWS doesn't solve the problem. It's like, I hear that a lot. Well, I know, you know, I know AWS or Microsoft, and these are good companies. I'm not knocking anybody. I'm just saying, you know, they think, well, they're, they're bigger and they're more powerful. So they, you know, they can do it better than us and, and maybe they can, but you really got to think about the configurations. You really got to think end to end. You really got to think about the whole, you know, the endpoints and, and, and of course, identity management, the whole end to end piece. And I think that's really where the challenges are. And, and uh, yeah, some are doing it well. There's always kind of leaders, followers and laggards. You know, there's three groups. There's some people doing really well, and there's some people that are really struggling. So, yeah, I mean, like you just said, you just talked about kind of the, the big companies as we're going cloud. There is this weird, like, sometimes you get this, this the CIOs were like, oh, yeah, well, we just assume they got the security, right? Versus, no, you're, you're the one responsible for your data. You, they don't take responsibility for your data security, right, as an example, for your configurations, right? And, and I, I think there's, a, there's still more awareness that needs to be driven around that. So hopefully a lot of the... Like you said, it's visibility. It's getting the full visibility, especially as, as things move to the cloud. How much of the, the effort is focused on the people, though? Of that billion dollars, is anything directed towards, well, let's, let's, let's pay people more or let's help you outsource more? I mean, right? Like that's, that, that is, like you said, it's the number one problem. So, so how is the billion dollars going towards that? Well, and I think that the guidance is coming. You know, the, the, the one thing that the what the law says, the, the act that was signed by the president says is you have to have a plan, which is good. You know, a lot of people don't have plans. And so it, it's not clear, is that going to be every state has to have a plan and then municipals can feed up into the state plan or does, you know, every city, every county, every township have to have their own plan. I don't, you know, that's still not clear yet from DHS and CISA. That's still coming down. I don't think it's just going to be, I think it is going to be based on outcomes. And I, I think they're going to do, part of it is going to be divvied out by population, you know, and there's going to be lists of things you can spend the money on and, and things that are eligible and things that aren't. And there's going to be competitive pieces of this to say, okay, the state that has the best plan to do X, Y, Z can get, can get more cash. So I think a lot of those details are going to be coming. I applaud it. It's something it's because it's dedicated to cyber. And I know in the past, other grants through the years, could be used for cyber, but many states couldn't get that money. It was used for other things. I also think it's really a down payment, Jason, because I, I think it's this is going to be, I say, decade long, probably the rest of our lives, the problem that's going to be out there. And the states and the locals are going to have to contribute part of that as well. They're going to have to have 80, 20, 90, 10, 80, 20 match. Every year it goes up 10% how much the locals have to give in. But also, it's not going to really do an operational piece to pay for that after it's get you know the new stuff gets installed. So, it's I think it's going to help. I think it's going to move the move the ball down the football field. It's probably not going to be you know the whole thing. So, just you know, switching gears a little bit, Dan. We're, I want to talk about something that's uh, you know that uh, that's exciting for you, and that's uh, that's you know your new book. 
deep dive. And that just came out in November with Wiley, and it's called uh, you know Cyber May Day, right? Uh, and the day after, I love the name. I'm definitely going to read it. Have not yet. I'm going to do the audible version, like we talked about. But, um, but you know, I just want to just kind of get get your perspective on uh, what what's it about and uh, why everybody should read it. Yeah, thanks so much. And I'm just really I'm just so stoked about this. It, it's Cyber May Day and the day after. And then the second part, the, the small print title is A Leader's Guide to Preparing, Managing and Recovering from Inevitable Business Disruptions. And so just real quick background on the book. Um, I'm a co-author with Shemaine Tan. Uh, Shemaine is actually in Sydney, Australia. She's really woman of the cyber woman of the year star. She just won, again, another award in Australia for cyber leadership and she started these cyber uh, meetups all over Australia, Japan, Singapore. So she's really big in Asia. And um, she wrote a first book. I contributed to that, told a bunch of stories from my CISO days. And um, she said, Dan, let's work on something together. So about a year ago, actually it was August of, of 20, right in the middle of COVID, she reached out. We 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 thought about this is before solar winds hit, this is before colonial pipeline hit, before JBS meets. What do we want to write about? And what we thought was really missing, you know, even at that time, you know, with all the ransomware attacks, the cyber attacks, is true stories of what, you know, what really happens not just to the CISOs, the security executives or the CTOs, technology executives, but the business leaders, you know, C-suite. What happens when you get hit by ransomware, when you have a cyber attack, when you're in the middle? So there's a lot of checklists out there. There's a lot of free resources. We actually reference all of those at the end of the book. Not all of them. I can't say all. A lot. A lot of the big ones that are out there. So free resources. And there's a lot of great checklists and guides and white papers we try and reference as many of those as we can and point you in the right direction. But we thought really the idea here is to marry up three parts, before, during, and after an incident. So what can you do before? Four chapters of the book is about, you know, preparing, you know, and, and you know, everything from having playbooks and, and doing exercises, tabletop exercises, and, and real true stories, you know, of what people learned and the good, the bad, ugly. Then during incidents in the middle, real stories about that. And then at the end, you know, what about afterwards? You know, what and, and like the last chapter is turning uh, cyber lemons into organizational lemonade. So really the idea of how can we take what we learned and then roll it back into our plan, into our playbooks, into our scenarios and get better and improve. And the goal was really to help people learn from what other people have experienced. 35 true stories from all over the world. About half of them are government, half of them are private sector, small, medium, large organizations and you know, really the goal is to really help people kind of live, you know, walk a mile in someone else's shoes, if you will, but really, you know, little snippets of what happened when, when you were hit. That's amazing. How well of all the organizations out there, right? Let's just call it any organizations that's large. What percent, if you were to just shoot from the hip, what percent of them do you think are well-prepared? Well-prepared. Wow. I, it's a really hard, I mean, they say large organizations, is this all, all, Let's say any any organization over five thousand people. I, I'm just going to say half shooting from the hip. From the hip, I would think it's less. I actually probably think it's even less than that. Well, it depends on what also what you mean by well prepared too, because you think you're ready, but you're never ready for <laughs> exactly what happens, right? So, 
And there's so many stories of, you know, I, I, I even tell a story. A couple of the stories are mine personally. Like I, I go way back and some of them are more, you know, most of them are more recent. But even going back to the blackout of 2003 and what happened when I was in Michigan government, I think you and I have talked about that in the past. But, you know, when the Northeast lost all of its power and that wasn't a cyber attack, although there was a lot of cyber components to that. And, you know, where we went, what we did, we had our Y2K plans. We had this plan. We had done some tabletop exercises. But, you know, so at the end of it, you know, we ended up, you know, coming out of it pretty well. That wasn't like we got hit by ransomware. Right. That was different. But, you know, there was good, bad and ugly. So I think I think people um, some organizations are more ready than others. So maybe maybe it's maybe it's less than 50 percent. It's maybe give another example of uh, one of your favorite stories. Yeah, let me let me read one to you because I want to just read you one section. This is from chapter five. Let's read you two pages real quick. I'll try and read fast. But, you know, the, the chapter title was Where Were You When the Sirens Went Off? But this is this is uh, from a true story. Your network has been locked. You need to pay 30 million U.S. dollars now, exclamation point. The following was an actual real life negotiation between ransomware gang and a 15 billion dollar U.S. victim company that was hit with a $28.75 million ransom demand in January 2021. After a few rounds, the victim company countered with $2.25 million, which was met with a scornful response by the ransomware criminals. Paraphrased here. And it's very funny to watch a few of your admins trying to install MS Exchange server in three days and can't do it. We have encrypted 5,000 of the 6,000 of your servers. If we do some of the simple ca uh, calculations, your expenditure is like, say, $50 per hour, or maybe you're even generous, $65 per hour. So 24 hours spent to restore one server multiplied by the number of servers encrypted by us, that is like $10 million in just only on labor expenditure alone. It's interesting to note how these ransomware gangs have been found an effective way to communicate the financial impact of business interruption caused by their cyber attacks and demonstrate how their victims will cut their losses by adhering to their demands. They continued, but don't forget that you spent all the time on installation. Oops, you can't even restore any of your data, can you? Because it's gone for the next thousand years. <laughs> they added the time factor pressure at the end of the message, but also showed some mercy at the same time. The timer is ticking, and in the next eight hours, your price tag will go up to $60 million. So either you take our generous offer and pay us the $28.75 million or invest in quantum computing to expedite the decryption process. When the company asked for additional time, the crooks countered by writing back, I don't think so. You aren't poor and you aren't children. If you're effed up, you will have to meet the you'll have to meet the consequences. A day later, when the company finally managed to get the authority to pay $4.75 million, the extortionists agreed to lower their demand to $12 million on the condition that the remaining amount be paid within 72 hours. After a few additional messages, they came to an agreement where the criminals promised that, fourth quick things, the hackers would not launch any new attacks, the company would get the tools to fully decrypt the encrypted data, the hackers would completely leave the network and never target them again, the hackers would give the company access to the data to delete themselves, Data would never be published or resold, and the hackers would provide a full report on their actions, how they got into the network, how the attack was carried out, including tips on improving the security of the organization and against penetration of other hackers. The company ultimately paid $11 million ransom. We'll stop there. But uh, that's one story. Uh, goes on and goes into some more details. But yeah. I had a meeting recently with uh, a CIO of a travel and I'm not, I wanted to be too specific, travel and leisure company, right? And they got ransomware in the middle, and they're, and they're big, right? In the middle of the pandemic. You're talking like, you know, May, June last year, right? 
And they asked them for $20 million. The response from the CIO was, we have zero revenue right now with no projections of any revenue for the future. Like we have nothing to lose right now. We have no money. We have no customers. So, you know, it was kind of, it was more a system lockup than it was confidential information, right? It wasn't PII, but uh, yeah, they ended up, you know, paying like 10 grand, right? Because then, because of COVID. But uh, no, that, that, that I, I love, I mean, I think those, bringing those stories to life, it's, it's like, it's one of those things where, um, you know, you don't you don't want just security people and CISOs to read. You want you want business leaders to read this thing. This is this is really written for C suite, but but also any business leader. If you're in a small business, I mean, you could own. You know, my brother Steve uh, got hit by ransomware a few years back. You know, he's got a copy of the book now. <laughs> you know, he he has twenty properties in Ocean City, Maryland, that he you know he's got ten employees. He got hit by ransomware, and thankfully at that time it was the early days. And, um, you know, he had to pay $1,200. Um, that was, you know, about three, four years ago. So, but I mean, the point is, is that, yeah, this can happen to anyone. And this is really written for the business community as well as the technology and the security community. So how long did this, uh, this book take you to write? Yeah, so we started it. Um, we wrote the proposal. We, well, we, we agreed we were going to do it last October. We, we each wrote a chapter, put the proposal together. Both of us had written books before. So this is my third book. We had the proposal done, you know, in the wintertime, shopped it around, had three publishers that wanted to do it. Wiley, we agreed to, with agreement with Wiley. And uh, we had the, we had the book completed, really, uh, first draft, May 1st. And the Colonial Pipeline hit, and the you know, edits came in, yada, yada, yada. Final draft was, you know, final manuscript was done July 1. So um, most of it we wrote in about three months, but, you know, really – the whole process was about nine months and, you know, we kind of updated it up, up through really the JBS meets and, and colonial pipeline and solar winds, but kind of the cutoff was, was July of this year. Yeah. I mean, it makes it extremely relevant, right. For everybody. Right. Oh, it goes right through colonial, right through JBS and solar winds and, and a few others. A um, lot of, a lot of more local, you know, the thing is, Jason, people don't realize the congressional testimony just said more ransomware in 2021, the last 10 years combined, which seems crazy to me. That's not in the book, by the way, that just came out a couple of weeks ago in congressional testimony. Those numbers just blow my mind. Cause I know how big 19 was and how big 20 was. And they were big years for ransomware. And, and it's just getting worse at the moment, unfortunately, in addition to that, you know, the, the ransoms are going up, right? And, you know, they're asking for more. It's certainly a big problem organizations are facing. I mean, these are like, this is all, this is the bank robberies, right? It's like the the, the drive-by, this is just drive-by bank robberies, just reinvented now, right? Um, yep. it's, 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 it, it is kind of Correct. crazy. Um, so why, like switching gears slightly on the same topic, and you talk, you talk about this. So why are tabletop exercises and even like full-scale kind of cyber exercises so important then? Right to plan and execute this. Yeah, so I mean, first of all, getting everyone involved because a big part of this is is certainly you have the technical pieces, you've got the Bitcoin and all of that. But I mean, the bigger issue is really communication and how do you communicate across the C suite? How do you communicate across the company? How do you communicate? You know, up, down, sideways, everything. You know, to your investors, to the community, to the public. You know, how you communicate. And, and I'll tell you, that goes back the same, you know, like I said, that's, that goes back 20 years. And anybody who's been in this emergency management, you know, for fires, floods, tornadoes, people would say hundreds of years. I mean, it's always about the communication and how you communicate 
Um, who's going to talk to who, when, what do you do first, in what order, how do you do it, are you prepared, how do your playbooks work out. You bring to those exercises, those tabletops, those full-scale exercises, your playbooks to really almost, you know, practice makes perfect, right? And so just like a, a fire team would practice putting out fires. You don't want somebody first time they ever put on the suit to come to your house when your house is burning down. You want them to know what they're doing and know where to go and what to do and how to do it based on different situations and different scenarios and, and injects and all of that. That's what you really need to be doing. And so many people think, oh, we have our data backed up. And I, the story of one, one quick story, I'll tell you that, you know, yeah, but it was going to take them six weeks to restore it <laughs> because they didn't have the bandwidth. They didn't have the connections. So they ended up having to pay the ransom because they hadn't really thought end to end. They thought they had a solution, but they hadn't really ever gone through the full kind of process. And they just didn't know what they didn't know. What percent of companies do you think pay versus don't? I think more than 50% pay now. The thing that's so hard about that, Jason, is the ones that don't report. Which is most. Exactly. And I'm saying that the ones, the FBI, the numbers we have, like when you see all these reports coming out and all the technical magazines and Forbes and all the rest of it, how many ransomware attacks, you're going to see end of the year reports. I do my annual prediction blog and you know all these end of the year numbers, they're based on what we know. But if a small business pays a ransom for $20,000 and never reports it to the law enforcement, it's not even counted. And so that raises that number to well over 50%. I mean, I think 70, 80% because of the ones we don't know about. And just so like you talked about the 2021 numbers are going to blow away you know, 10x more than ever before. I think it's it's significantly higher. It's higher than what we know. Yeah. So what, uh, you know, just kind of, just a little bit wrapping right on that because you just mentioned your predictions. So what's your top favorite predictions for next year? I mean, I, I, I can give you so many. I mean, it's, you know, we're putting, I'm going through them all right now. So just as you know this, you and I have talked about this a couple of years in a row. But first of all, these aren't Dan Lorman's predictions. I, I compile what I consider the top prediction reports from all the top companies. So, you know, from the Trend Micros and the Fire Eyes and, the, and I'm not saying these, they, there's certain companies that put out really great, prediction reports that spend literally tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars on these reports. And they're really well done. And it's, it's not just like sticking your hand in your ear and guessing that might snow tomorrow. I mean, it, they, they really do research and they really kind of try and connect the dots and say, I mean, clearly there's going to be more data breaches. Clearly there's going to be more ransomware. Clearly we're going to have more critical infrastructure attacked. You know, every year there's always predictions of major, you know, cyber 9-11 or and people want to hear about the spectacular. That's been kind of toned down the last few years because nobody wants to hear the whole internet's going to go down or, you know, thousands of people are going to die in some hospital. I mean, that's kind of because well, I think we're going to talk about later, CISOs, you know, just the FUD message is not a successful message. So, I mean, we like to get a little more specific about you know, what kind of targeted attacks are coming at you. So a lot of the reports, I mean, my favorite predictions right now are around like how artificial intelligence and the bad actors are using machine learning, artificial intelligence to really, you know, go after in very sophisticated ways, these enterprises and target in different ways and, and, specifics I won't go into right now from a technology perspective, but looking for those vulnerabilities, looking for known zero days, looking for known problems 
and then just scouring the internet, just like, you know, looking, we may say it's, you know, a diamond in the rough or, you know, looking for that needle in the haystack. But if you've got the right tools, you know, from a machine learning and an artificial intelligence perspective, they're very, very effective. So attacks are becoming more targeted, more specific. People are doing their homework. And it's not just kind of like, you know, it's a long way from where it was a decade ago or when I first met you, you know, kind of like spam the world and hope somebody clicks. There's some of that still going on, some of that's still working, but um, a lot of it is much more targeted. And they're using, and I just heard recently, like the dark web's full of passwords, credentials, people still not using two-factor authentication, which is crazy, or multi-factor authentication, MFA. And then they're not even hacking, they're just logging in with the credentials. Which is which is crazy, but it's happening. Future, the future, future, future. If anybody listening, I mean, every single app you have should be multi-factor. Period. Absolutely. It's just that that is you're just not honestly. It's a security. You're not doing your job. Correct. The period. Right. Because um, that is well a, said. Well said. That's, that's totally right. Right, and it, you're right. It exists. Um, there are there are. Lots of products that uh, lots of SaaS apps out there that don't even support MFA, right? Still, right? Because they're they're early, they're young, they're gonna have twenty eight employees that created an HR app, let's say, but they but they're serving very large companies, and, and it's just because uh, it's it's really kind of all driven by shadow IT, and then finally security finds out and it's like, dude, like we're cutting you off unless you can go, you know, build this functionality, right? It has to, has to be integrated to. You know, our solution like Octoping, et cetera, right? Totally. And 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 to that same point, I mean, I remember a year ago I was with a, a, a I'm not gonna name the bank. I was with a bank that would I, I literally went up the chain. I want to do multi-factor. They did not have multi-factor authentication at a bank. And I went all the way to the CISO and I ended up getting up getting actually added to their pilot. <laughs> and actually I'm still with that. They, they they now have MFA across the board. But if you have any financial institution, insurance, any kind of financial accounts or trading or what and it's not too multi-factor, find somebody else. So, you know, kind of now just to transition a little bit more like dug into IR. You've done a lot of different things, right? You've worked on kind of every part of security. What's your favorite domain? Because you did a lot of you did a lot around security awareness. Right. And as well, like what's your favorite domain in cybersecurity? I mean, I did like security awareness a lot. It, it was I was in that for seven years. Security Mentor is a great company, a little side message there, but I still love them. They're a great company. What I liked about it was it, it was very practical for everyday users, you know, people at my church and people in my community and people I met at the Christmas parties. I could talk to them about what are three things I could do right now? I mean, multi-factor authentication, you know, turn on 2FA for Facebook and for Gmail. And I mean, and so I did like that because it was a, relevant for 100% of society where you start talking about, you know, a lot of the things you guys do great work at Netscope and the companies I'm working with right now at Presidio and, and Netscope's one of them, but certainly, you know, AWS and CrowdStrike and different people, Okta and others. And, and, and the reality is, you know, explaining that to people, you know, is, is harder in a layperson perspective. What I like about my current role and, you know, ask me in a year or two, but um, is it's broader and it's, it's really, you know, I get back, to, you know, back to the ability of kind of full scope. Full solution set. Yeah, exactly. You can help people with anything. You got a problem, I can solve it, right? That's it, exactly. And I love that. And I, 
I love, I, listen, I just love having honest conversations with CISOs. I mean, and, and CIOs. And I, I, I have to tell you, I've been, for better or for worse, people say I'm crazy because there's probably a lot more money, and there is in, in the private sector. But I've been, mostly from my NSA days all the way through, even in England with Lockheed and Mantec, and then with the state of Michigan. And I really focus a lot on government, and I have a love for government and, and helping. I mean, just a passion to help improve society. And, and, and so for me, they're, they're under resourced. Um, they're the underdogs in a lot of ways, but having honest, open conversations with public sector and government, I have to tell you, I'm passionate about that as well, because, I mean, they're heroes out there in the front lines right now. And it's it's hard. It's rough. And they're working long seven hours, you know, seven days a week, you know, 14, 16 hour days, and they're sweating. And it, it's I, I feel for them. It's, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard, hard job. It's a very hard job, um, which is why. You know, they, they generally don't last, you know, multiple years and they, they change jobs a lot. I mean, it's, 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 it, and the stress is immense. It is like you, you can't find people. The threat's evolving so fast. The business is moving to the cloud, but you still have to protect on-prem. And so now you've got double double the attack surface, triple the attack surface, but not triple and double the budget. I mean, it's just, it is a very, very, very hard job. And there's no doubt about it. It is. And, and then you lose your best people. You know, you put together a team and you're like, this team is, you know, I really, and then, you know, we were able to, and we had, we had I, I still love my, you know, it's my glory days, but 14 years ago, when I wrote my first book, we had a team in Michigan government. It was a very different economy, very different cyber world back in those days. I know we had a great team because all those 10 people I could think I could name are all CISOs now around the world doing great things. So it's, it's like, we, you can't keep a team like that together anymore. I mean, you just can't do it because, you know, they're just going to have offers right and left. And especially in government, it's just almost... It's a really hard, you have to be a motivator as well. You got to be a cheerleader and a motivator. It's actually known um, to go after talent from the government, right? And from, from the state, right, as well, right? I, I, I hired uh, Jonathan Troll from Colorado because it's like, it's a, you know, just like, dude, he's, a, he's brilliant and he, and he, and he you know, you can, you can always afford them, right, that first time. So what, uh, you know, speaking of kind of talent, right, and like you're, 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 you're a creator of CISOs, as we just talked about. You know, you, you, a lot of people, it's one of the biggest, I think, you know, things that is help as a, as a measure of personal success sometimes is how many people go and, and become executives right after working for you, right? That's one of our jobs is to, is to grow the talent base and, uh, and help people in their careers. But what would be your number one top advice for a first-time CISO? Find a mentor. It's exactly what you just said, Jason. You know, find a mentor who you can hopefully outside of your current organization, but somebody who you can trust, who you can not trying to sell you something. I mean, not, not, I'm not talking about a mentor who's, you know, hopefully at least if they are a salesperson, they can, they can step outside of that role and just give you some speak into your life and speak into you, you know, you just kind of lay it on the line and, and just because they've, 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 they've walked a mile in your shoes. They know what it's like. It, you know, there's politics involved. There's office politics. I'm not talking about Republican, Democratic. I mean, that comes into play too sometimes. But, but I mean, just any organization has got politics. Every every company has politics. Period. And I think actually, it's probably. By the way, I think that's actually one of the number one things all CISOs struggle with is is the political side of things, right? Because you're you're trying to. I mean, your job is the it. You you do have to put friction on the business. So you can't just like have frictionless, right? Like then they can just go do anything. And so. Having that balance, you know, there's many CISOs I talk to where they're like, oh, yeah, I walk down the hall and people like turn around and we'll start walking the other way because they're they're scared of me. It's like that's 
you know, that's not a good thing. Yeah. No, and, and that would be the second thing. I mean, I give you four or five, but I mean, relationships, relationships, relationships. I mean, it's the importance of that. Don't just be, you know, we had our original sock in, in Michigan was called the bat cave. Don't just hang out in the bat cave all the time. You know, just got, that's great. You know, we're, I'm in the bat cave, but you know, you got to have relationships 360. So, you know, you're going to be judged on how, yes, how you work with your people, how you work with your peers, how you work with your management, of course, but how you work with the vendor community and how you work with the customers, right? And so, it, you know, those relationships are key and it's hard. I mean, there aren't many CISOs and I, you know, I'd struggled at times, you know, and I know, you know, it, it's it's hard to have good relationships with everybody, just like anything in your life. You know, you can't be friends with everybody, but, um, but, have, but having good relationships 360 is another thing. And, and it's easy to say, Everyone says it, but it's hard to do. And it, it's very hard to do well. And it takes years. It takes experience. You know, you don't you don't walk into a new job as a CISO and, be, and, and you're not a five-year veteran because you haven't been through five budget cycles and you haven't been through five Christmases and end-of-the-year award ceremonies. And, I mean, you learn, you know, by, do, you know, good, bad, and ugly, you learn. And um, just hopefully you get the time to really grow into your role. But that's where a mentor can help. A mentor can help walk you through kind of the swamp because you're going to do some things well, the things most CISOs do well initially, but there's some things that they usually struggle with. What would you do differently uh, if you can go back in time? So there's one story that goes back to about 2004 when I was CISO in the state of Michigan and Terry Takai was my boss. And Terry was a CIO in Michigan. She went on to become CIO in California. Then she went on to become the CIO for the U.S. Department of Defense. So very famous, um, worked for a lot of governors, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jennifer Granholm, who's now, you know, Secretary of Energy. Um, so Terry, anyway, we, you know, they say in any new CISO relationship, you always have kind of the, you know, forming, storming, norming, performing kind of thing, right? Well, this is our storming phase. <laughs> so anyway, Terry, Terry and I, I, I kind of tell you the ending, it, we end up becoming good friends. But anyway in the middle of this. So Terry wanted me to put Wi-Fi in all of our state conference rooms. Right. And I was against Wi-Fi, you know, I'm the NSA guy and I had all these white papers. I'd done all my homework and I'd gone to, you know, CIA, NSA, FBI. I had all these white papers. Wi-Fi is bad idea. War driving. People were breaking into bank, you know, Home Depot. And, it was easy to hack early. All that, all that stuff. So anyway, bottom line, um, I went into this meeting. Terry's like, okay, Dan, you know, it's like, 10 people around this big government conference room. It's Terry staff meeting about 20 minutes into this conference uh, room, uh, weekly staff meeting. And we got the item agenda, uh, agenda item four. And, and she says, Dan, so how are we going to do this? And I said, well, Terry, this is a bad idea. We're going to cancel this project. And so I handed these sheets of paper out and passed them around the room. And I said, I've got all these white papers here to, to back this up. I just want to summarize why this is not something we should be doing. So Terry says, stop. I want everybody to leave the room but Dan. So, so everybody gets up and runs out of the room. I've never seen a government conference room and, and exit so quickly. Anyway, long story short, she looks me in the eye and she says, Dan, if that's your answer, you can't be the CISO in Michigan. And I said, well, wait a minute, Terry, let me, let me explain. She said, no, 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 stop. She said, we know you're smart. You got a master's degree, yada, yada, yada. You're from NSA. We get all that. She said, but I've been to Dow, Ford, Chrysler, and GM, and they all have Wi-Fi in their conference rooms. What do they know that you don't know? She said, I'm giving you one week to find out or I want your resignation. 
And that was a shocking moment for me. I mean, it was a life-changing moment. I mean, my career was like flashing before my eyes. Of course, we went back. You know, <laughs> we talked to Dalford Chrysler GM. We got Wi-Fi in all the state conference rooms. Two years later, we win the award for top security Wi-Fi in, in government nationwide, yada, yada, yada. But the bigger lesson for me was you got to get to a yes but or a yes and. You got to look at options. You got to give gold, silver, bronze. And it's not just about Wi-Fi, obviously. This could be cloud. This could be. There's always a way. Exactly. Yeah. It's cloud or IoT or AI, whatever the new hot topic is, the security answer is always no. And you've got to figure out what other people know that you don't know. The answer may sometimes need to be no, Jason. We talked about that before. But the point is that you've got to really, and it really changed my mindset. How can I be an enabler from that time on? I was writing articles 05 onward. How do you change cultures to have an enabling cybersecurity? And I know Netscope does that too. How do you enable people to do cloud securely? Great advice, Dan. So, so that's all that we have, uh, you know, have time for today. Dan, this has been, this has been awesome. Uh, and thank you. And I, I feel like, uh, you know, we, we could have easily done this for many, many more hours. But before, before I let you go, is there, you know, one, like, where can people find you? And, and and get your book and but and also if is there anything else you want to leave anybody with sure well thanks so much and jason again thank you thank netscope thank you know for, for having me really it's an honor to be on your program it really and you're a, a true thought leader and an expert in the industry so i, I true huge admirer of you of you and what you've done cyber may day and the day after is the name of the book um you can you can get it on amazon it's out there i also i write for government technology magazine so i have a weekly blog it's up every sunday and monday it's the lead story on monday mornings for government technology magazines you can see me there uh lorman on cybersecurity. also at gov cso for in twitter gov cso at gov cso is my twitter handle and you can also just, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn because I love to connect with pros in the industry and, and even even new people in the industry. Can't mentor everybody. I get a lot of requests to mentor people. I do mentor, you know, a few people, but um, I'd love to, re- you know, connect with you. So please feel free to reach out on LinkedIn, Dan Lorman. Yes. Th- listen, if you, you know, everybody, you definitely connect with Dan. He is, he, he, all he does wants to do is he just wants to help people, right? He wants to make this industry better and help the community so that's one thing that's uh, that's i love about dan it's just all it's all about the community so thanks dan thank you and i'll I'll see you all in a week thanks so much jason appreciate it the security visionaries podcast is powered by the team at netscope looking for the right cloud security platform to enable your digital transformation journey the netscope security cloud helps you safely and quickly connect users directly to the internet from any device to any application Learn more at netskope.com. Thank you for listening to Security Visionaries. Please take a moment to rate and review the show and share it with someone you know who might enjoy it. Stay tuned for episodes releasing every other week, and we'll see you in the next one.